Welcome to the Mike Bowie Show, where we talk with people who influence people. Welcome to the next episode of People Who Influence People. My my name is Mike Bowie, your host, and I have a a pretty dynamic and wonderful person sitting here with me, and I'm excited to talk with her. Angel Magasano, with Little Black Book, among other things, is uh, is here and very graciously showed up with her lovely daughter today, which was a nice surprise, so we're going to get her involved, too. Little did she know she was going to be on a podcast today, so welcome, I'm sure she's very happy about that. Yeah. Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. So, well, thank you for being here. And um, the first question, and and I don't think you've listened to any of these episodes yet, the first question I ask everybody is, what's it like being Angel Magasano? I don't ask them that name. I ask them their name. What's it like being... (laughs) Yeah, wow, that would be a a crazy question to give everybody. So what's it like being Angel Magasano? I think it's probably would be surprising to a lot of people that uh, I live a very ordinary life. Um, I have two children that make me very proud. They don't live in the area, so they don't live in the state. So they're seeing them as a treat. Having her with me this morning is a treat. But I think what people see online or what their fantasy of what my life looks like is is very different than what my my life is. I enjoy a traditional um, home life. I like to be home, um, homemade dinners. I like to have dinner with Joe, my partner, every day. Um, He and I enjoy things like watching Wheel of Fortune. He and I enjoy um, reading together and journaling and uh, puzzling and playing games and uh, cooking. We have a lot of interest. We love to travel. But really, the day-to-day life is um, pretty pretty basic, I guess. We, we go to work. We come home. We have dinner. We decompress with some giggles on the, on the television. <laughs> right. And uh, we get up and we do it again. Nice. Um, in terms of what it feels like to be me, it feels fantastic because... Um, I feel successful in my professional life, and I'm fulfilled by that. I have a healthy uh, interpersonal relationship with Joe. I have very close relationships with my children, and even though they don't live in the area, we speak frequently. So I feel pretty fulfilled. You said something that was interesting. You you said you feel successful. What's that mean to you? What it means to me is that I am filled by my passion and my purpose. So I have, I have a mission and a passion, and I do things every day to bring those to life. It's, it is very much the, the cliche that if you do what you love for a living, you never work a day in your life. Uh, I really enjoy what I do. A lot of days I feel like I'm uh, playing pretend uh, like I would when I was a child, I'm pretending to work, but it's not pretend. It is real work, but it's so much fun for me right. that it feels like it, it could be a make-believe situation. I was talking with a very successful friend of mine the other day. This guy's really super successful, and he says, you know, it's crazy because I still have imposter syndrome. I still feel like it's not my life. Like, why do I get to do this? I don't deserve to be in this position. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that? 
I think everybody suffers with imposter syndrome. Um, I've done some research on it recently because we're really trying to find an expert who can speak to imposter syndrome. We have so many women um, that I'm engaged with who suffer from that, and I understand it. But I don't know that I suffer from it as much as some other people claim that they suffer from it. Uh, I feel like I work hard and I deserve what what I've accomplished and I'm proud mm-hmm. of what I what I've accomplished and I've had a very interesting life and I've done some fun things uh, but I don't feel like um, on the inside that I feel like I'm something that I'm not on the outside I, I'm a what you see is what you get type of person that makes sense I guess you know imposter syndrome people feel like maybe you know it, it, it I've read up on it and I think I've I probably suffer from it to some degree, you know. Coming, that surprises me. Well, coming off of, of, of growing up on a farm, you know, literally, you know, the dirt poor story, true story for us, and not being that way now. But, um, you know, people feel like, well, I don't deserve this, or, you know, I, maybe I don't feel like I've worked. Uh, some people say, some, I don't feel like I, I worked hard enough to get this, or some people might say that I worked harder than this. I, I should be farther along, but... You know, we all suffer from some sort of neuroses or another, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's that that's true. I mean, there, there. Um, I think in women, women suffer from uh, body image neuroses yeah. that drive other confidence issues or insecurities. So as, I understand. As a guy, I can't even imagine. I mean, I guess maybe that's not fair to say, but I've recently lost twenty pounds. And I chose to lose 20 pounds because I felt fat. I didn't fit in my clothes, and I had limited wardrobe, and I was tired of wearing the same stuff, and I was tired of being tired. So mm-hmm. make a plan. Lose some weight, right? right? But I didn't feel like it was an image thing for me. You know what I mean? So I don't know what it's like for a, a woman to feel a body image issue. Uh, well, I so I'm a child of the 80s, and... Um, I just feel like the the image that is fed to young girls and women alike of um, successful and powerful women fit a certain stereotypical look about them. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, and I think that um, I, I was raised in an age where women were still, um, it was just... Um, expected that women would be subservient uh, to men and their counterparts, their bosses, their their teachers. Um, they came second. And uh, specifically, my first job in the corporate world, um, when I expressed a dissatisfaction with another coworker, my manager, who was a man, told me that I needed to go take a Valium. Oh, Lord. So um, I really did, uh, my younger years really were that, uh, they were not women forward, where the society is starting to flip so that there is a lot of equity issue Mm -hmm. and gender equity issues on the table. Well, okay, let's go there. Let's dive in. And and I should say now that Angel and I have known each other for some time. We're we're friendly for sure. and, you know, in the business community, we see each other a lot. So we have a relationship prior to this. Some of the guests I, I didn't know, but 
Angel and I do know each mm-hmm. other a bit. Yeah. And I know Joe pretty well, too. Super, <laughs> super goofy, kooky, awesome, wonderful dude. Yeah, he is. So let's, let's go there for a second with, this gen- with the women's stuff. Because, there, you know, um, you have this classic idea of women, which can be based on a, uh, on a, uh, a religious foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which we won't go there, but ma- you know, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. But certainly in the workforce, women have been, um, I think, relegated to more of a, I almost said servant, but that's not it. I guess a, a service level, meaning we're doing this stuff and you guys are helping us. Yeah. I, and, and I think that's kind of how I came up in the corporate world was that women um, were expected to have certain roles within the organization, within the company, right? Yeah. Uh, women made great administrators. Women made great data entry people. Uh, they made great bookkeepers and accountants. But they weren't necessarily um, recruited to be management level, right. upper manage certainly not upper management level. Now, of course, my time in the corporate world was 25 years ago, so I I know things have changed. But this is this is my experience that I can draw. Right, and that's what you have, and that's what your that's right. where your life is now as a result. Yeah, of and I and, and I I don't know that I would <clears throat> necessarily categorize myself as an individual as a feminist. Um, I really do feel like I'm more of a traditionalist because of the way I was raised and the role that I enjoy playing as a woman. Um, but I, I also don't want to be told what role I must play or need to play as a woman. I want to be able to do what I want to do across all spectrums. Right. So, you know, a tradi- when you said traditionalist, that instantly I had this mental picture of uh, this classic family, mm-hmm. you know, Ward going off to work, <laughs> and what was her name? June. June, uh, making the dinner and stuff like that. And you know, that's a, it's a romantic idea, right? Life doesn't really play out that way. But I don't know. I had that life for a while. Did you? I did. I mean, um, when I came up, Angel, my dad worked. Uh, he was a machinist. And my mom would take odd jobs for extra money, but, you know, largely her job was in a home. You know, she cooked, cleaned the whole, did the laundry the whole bit. So that's a traditionalist thing. Is there conflict in your mind between the traditional role and what you truly desire out of how, what, what that hierarchy looks like in a family or in a job? Is there conflict for, in there? For me, there wasn't because when I was living that life, so years ago I left the corporate world because my family had become an inconvenience to me. Um, I was working my way up the ladder in the corporate world, traveling quite a bit. And, of course, when you make your way up to that middle to upper management position, the corporation doesn't necessarily care that you have sick kids at home or that your laundry hasn't been done in seven days and mm. that there's yeah. nothing. In, you know, so um, I chose to stay home and raise my children for a couple of years. So I really enjoyed I I chose that life and I enjoyed it. But I don't think that it kept me from also having aspirations of what next, mm-hmm. you know. So I really did. I didn't feel that I was trapped or that I was forced or I was playing a role that I was bitter about. I chose that path and then I chose another one. Mm-hmm. 
was that, well, it sounds like there was some conflict in there, but once you made up your mind, was it an easy transition for you to come out of the corporate world into the... Very much so. Very much so. There was a lot of turmoil in my um, initial decision to try to leave the... Um, leave the corporate world because I was making a lot of money. Yeah. You know, I could buy oh, whatever yeah. I wanted to buy, could do whatever I wanted to do, but again, my, my family was an inconvenience to me. I had a five-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter at home. Right. Uh, my daughter, Danielle, was ill with a, a an, it took them days to maybe a, a week and a half to diagnose what her problem was. And um, I think it just hit me one day that when I was too busy to play with my own children because I had to do the laundry and the grocery shopping and the things because I had to be at the 7 o'clock sales meeting Monday morning and I had been traveling for six days, that's when I finally had the aha moment that this is not the life that I want. Being with my children for a while is the life that I want. And so I did sacrifice the money and all the things and all of the ease of life that comes with having disposable income to be at home with, with them right. for a it couple of years. Yeah. It got hard. Yeah. And so, and the, tell, remind me, how long were you in that, the home role? I was, um, Homemaker well, role. I was in the role for not very long before I decided I was going to do other things because I'm a marketing person by education and by profession. So, um, I took some classes <clears throat> in cake decorating so that I could market, I guess, my, my, my family life so I could I was going to create great birthday parties and experiences for the neighbor kids and um, I took some cake decorating classes which led me into a business opportunity in designing and making large-scale cakes for special events so I probably was in the home role uh, just dedicated to the home role for only a year or two before. And then it turned into uh, serial <laughs> it, yeah, entrepreneur. In my, right. Yeah, my aspirations right. and my hobby life and all of the things that I enjoyed doing started to uh, come back in and because I'm just so capable of doing so many things. So why be limited? Right. Now, I understand. I, I did, did a little, little snooping, no. of course. Good. What'd you find? Well, I found, I learned the cake story. Yeah. And that became a pretty viable gig for you it did and then you had you had I guess met some people or you became closer mm -hmm. to some people and and the discussions began like yeah we, by gosh we should do this or we should do that or wouldn't it be great if yeah right yeah, so, so tell I, me how that developed and and I where we're leading to for our listeners is and you know we never know where the podcast is going to go but where, where I want to land this one is um, how Little Black Book came to be, and then we'll talk about moving forward after that. But I'd, I'd love to hear the story from your mouth okay. about I'm doing this, this cake hustle, right. and it's working, and then, wow, what if? I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't start out to make any money with the cakes. I really did just start as a hobby. I am a creative cat, so it was a good creative artistic outlet for me. You know, the cake was art to me. Sure. Uh, it wasn't until someone offered to pay me for their son's birthday cake that I that I realized, well, I can turn this into the best of all worlds. Okay, when they offered to pay you, did you say, really? Or did you say, of course? 
Um, <laughs> no, I think I, I think my reaction was really, really, um, because I don't think that I had identified myself as an entrepreneur. I think I had identified myself as a hobbyist. So you're more classic. Um, your training is more marketing mm-hmm. and, and promotion, not so much business development and visioneering, right? That's right. Well, that's what led me to the path that I'm on now. So after working my cake business for a number of years, um, I could figure out how to market the business. I was doing it illegally, by the way, in St. Charles County, because don't tell anybody. Um, I think I'm in the clear now. I think the statute Statute. of limitations is up. I'm not going to jail for that. But uh, the challenge with that was that I couldn't get on any of the preferred lists that all of the beautiful wineries and wedding venues uh, that we have in St. Charles County. I wasn't eligible to get on any of those lists. So trying to build a business with only marketing experience was my challenge. And I knew that I needed to get into a commercial space or a space that I could rent to do the commercially licensed things. And those are the things I didn't know how to do. So did you have any level of business acumen? Oh, I would say very little. Okay. Very little. Um, Marketing was my gig, you know, and I stayed in that lane. Well, you're a highly capable person and you have an IQ. And I know this because I've heard your vernacular over the last number of years. You have an IQ. So I know that you're someone who says... I'm going to do this and it'll be done, you know, but did you, did you ever think that you would, side question, sorry, I see squirrels, sidebar, sidebar counselor, where you are now, did you ever think it's where you'd be? No, it was, um, even though I have vision and I am a visionary by personality trait, uh, I am a let's do this and see what happens, and if it doesn't work, we'll change it. Mm-hmm. I also have that easygoing kind of um, way about me. So I, I've done a lot of things. I've started that way. We're going to do this. I mean, we can spend three years planning it, or we can just do it, and if it doesn't work, we'll change direction. Right, right. And um, I think I incorporate a lot of that in, in what I do, even still Today, we had conversations earlier with staff about 2023 and plans that we thought we had ironed out that may be changing and shifting. So um, I do have that philosophy of let's do it. Let's get it started. And if it doesn't work, we're going to change it. Um, But I did... uh, I didn't know what I didn't know when I was running mm-hmm. the cake business. Preach. Right. And so my goal was to surround myself with other women, specifically, who were trying to run a business and they didn't know what they didn't know. And they were struggling to be taken seriously because they didn't know what they didn't know. Sure. And they still had all of the expectations on them that they needed to manage. You know, they've got children that need to be fed and bathed and read to and gotten on the bus and lunches to be made and laundry to be done and vacations to plan and doctors to visit and all of the all of the tasks that are traditionally expected of the woman or the wife in the home how do i do all of those things establish and grow a business and be taken seriously for it and how how do i do it all at the same time You've said this a couple of times, the, the, the concept of being taken, serious, taken seriously. That sounds like a, a button of yours. Yeah, I think it probably is a button 
and maybe uh, for a while. I just know, you know, there are certain certain things that happen in your life that you can point to. You can go back into elementary school. I can remember when, you know, the boy in the fourth grade told me that I had a big butt, right? That sticks with me. I can remember everything about that. So there are certain things that stick with me. And early on in my journey with Little Black Book, that stuck with me. And it was, I can't, not, it's not a person, but it was a, um, a lot of people. And I think it was more nonverbal or body language when I would talk to someone about this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And you can just you can just see in someone's face where you they can. just glaze over and they are saying in their head, "Well, that's cute," and you're disqualified as a lead for me. I know I'm never going to you know get you on my insurance team or whatever their right. motivation is in the situation. Um, so I think that that kind of set the tone in the very beginning for my need to be taken seriously and respected in the marketplace. Do you feel like that feeling? in you made you want to prove something or do you feel like that feeling just drove you for personal success does that question make sense it does make it does make sense and I have an answer for a long time I thought that I was going to prove the masses wrong Um, but I've switched that thinking to I'm going to prove myself right because I know I can do this. I believe in what I'm doing. I've always known I can do it. And it's not about proving you wrong. It's about proving myself. And so I constantly strive to continually prove to myself that we set a goal, we achieve it. We set the next goal, we achieve it. Set the next goal, and we achieve it. And that's not so that I can prove someone else wrong that's that's the negative point of right. view, right? Well, that's the mature perspective is the answer you gave. But how many of us in business, as business owners or business leaders, are actually a hundred percent mature? Well, <laughs> I would say in this room, how many of us are one hundred percent mature? Probably your daughter is probably <laughs> I would more. Say she probably is the only adult in the room. That's probably true. more likely to be mature than the two of us. <laughs> yeah. But I love that answer because it speaks to. It speaks to self-fulfillment, not about um, proving a station in the world. It's about just maximizing who you are. Right, but we, I can't say that I didn't always have that negative. Well, no, we of course we want to. You know, vengeance, know, almost like I'll show, I'll show you yeah, in your face, man. Yeah. You know, but um, and I think that if I'm honest, I, I look back at my childhood and I never thought that I would be where I am now. Uh, uh, in the in the community, it, you know, yeah. um, financially with with family and freedom that that I have, oh my gosh, no! You, you, I just thought that I would get a job, the best job I could, get married, have some kids, and struggle along with the rest mm-hmm. of us, and try to go fishing a couple times a month and squeak out a vacation once a year. But when when here I'm I'm on my I'm on a tear. Do it, now. take it. I well, feel like you should lean into it. <laughs> I just think that what you said is so profound and so perfect that it's really not about proving to other people because I mean we care about what people think of us. And that's right too. Mm-hmm. We want to be liked in the community. But at the end of the day, the measuring stick is the one that we own. 
right? That's the yeah. measuring stick that matters, not the one that anybody else owns. So that's interesting. So, so go back to the cake and the community that you're building. Right. Right. So um, that was such a long time ago. You know, Facebook was fairly new as a, this brand new social media platform. And if you remember, when Facebook first came online, you could go back and read everybody's posts that you left off at. Um, so as a marketing person, I was able to jump onto that platform right away and use that as a communication tool. But really, when I started trying to gather women um, into a group, I would post flyers in local uh, bread companies. Okay with times and meeting times and places and hope that somebody showed up that was another person. And a lot of times, it, a lot of times no one showed up. A lot of times somebody showed up and then there was a consistent somebody that showed up and then she and I would be happy if a third person showed up. And we did, we lived that way. You built um, your tribe one at a time. One at a time. Yeah. And um, it, it did finally get to a point where I had 15 or 17 women that were invested in in my mission and what we were doing for one another in terms of support and building confidence and sharing um, ideas and best practices that it started to be so attractive to me that I made the decision to leave the cake industry behind and move forward with this new Project. When did you start writing stuff down, like mission statement, vision statement? At the very beginning. You did. At so the, the very, first time the beginning. one woman came down, you or showed up. At the very, up, very beginning. You had a notebook. Mm-hmm. And what, what's some, what are some things that you wrote down? I, we, uh, I went with a girlfriend of mine, uh, a PTA mom friend of mine. We went to her mother's lake house for a weekend, and we sat together and we wrote the mission Uh, for the organization, um, which is to uh, connect, inspire, empower women as we give them the confidence and the resources necessary to move forward personally and professionally. Never, ever varied from that. Um, We also defined five pillars on which the organization would stand, and those pillars are connect, promote, share, give and become and we have never ever wavered everything that we do fills the mission and serves one of the pillars that we stand on so we established that right away Um, in the very beginning I did it with a couple of girlfriends and just has been in place and the solid foundation that was needed to propel the organization did that mission statement and those five pillars or did they write themselves or did you guys struggle with that um, I think that I don't remember. I, I remember it taking us all weekend to come up with the statement, uh, but it was very natural and organic in the way it, it, it came together. You know, because I knew what we wanted to do. Songwriters say, you know, man, this song wrote itself. It was and it's perfect. And it's a beautiful song, right? So it sounds to me like your mission statement was something that had been brewing in you. Right. And I just had a thought. And um, I think it's fascinating to hear you talk now that this is the most that I've ever spoken with you about your organization. 
I know I think, mostly it's gossip when we get together. It is not. <laughs> it's not. Lies. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, it's clear to me that your organization is not about men. And it's not a man-haters club. That's right. It's, it's not about men at all, is it? No, it's not. It, it, it really is about tapping into the unique qualities that women possess and the unique ways that they communicate and conduct their business. Uh, but you're right that just because it's tapping into those qualities, it does not discount the men that are so constant in our lives, mm-hmm. right? It's not a one or the other. I think that, and boy, I'm really getting down in the weeds here, but I love it down there. I think it, it probably came out of the the hierarchy that men built. Maybe. I, I think that I don't have as many thoughts or, or deep-rooted um, thoughts about men being oppressive as much as I have thoughts and memories, and I've tapped into some things that have happened in my childhood about women being mean to one another. Okay. So it's really more about that, I think. Do you think that marketing that is, do you think that unhealthy marketing, unhealthy branding in our world today is created by men or women? Women towards, marketing towards women. I don't know that I'm... I don't know that I'm in tune enough to answer that question um, properly. I do think that my opinion of some of the marketing is my is mine, and I think that it's okay for the marketing to shift to hit the different target markets, right? And I do feel like um, women can be empowered within themselves as individuals, whether or not I agree with their path in life. Their path in in life is none of my business, but I do believe in them being empowered to be who they are, right? So I want to see them and meet them where they are Mm -hmm. and get them where they aspire to be, not necessarily what I would aspire for them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. My wife often giggles. Because we talk, you know, she's very, she's not a feminist, but certainly a women empower, empowered woman. Yes, she is. And she, she'll often, um, you know, there, there, there's, we, we laughed about advertisements and articles we've read from like the 50s mm-hmm. and stuff about women and where they say, well, she's hysterical. How do you treat hysteria? Right. So now here it is 50 something years later, my wife will say, well, clearly I was hysteric, you know, I was suffering from hysteria. Yes. You need to fix me. Right. And um, that's kind of a joke, and it's funny in our in our relationship. But the truth is, with as much as I respect her intellect and her calm and her, her wisdom, it's like, I don't know what guys were thinking 50 and 100 years ago, you know? Yeah. I mean, we have a very classic relationship. I'm the the voice box of our family and our business and I'm the one that makes the final decisions but oh my gosh what would I do without her counsel we wouldn't be it we would we wouldn't function without her counsel and I think that that um, that interpersonal relationships between people are to be defined between those people right yeah and, and I have friends who you know they're 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 
uh, their spouse, their wife, are the empowered one in the relationship, and that's awesome. And I think you're right. I think you just define that, like in the marriage, you define your roles. And, yeah. Um, so, as you're meeting with those 15, 17 women, you have that retreat. You come up with a statement. Um, how did it go after that? Was it easier for you at that point to build an organization, or did you feel like, oh my gosh, we got this? <laughs> Let's go, like bring it to the world. What was next? Well, we did. We made a decision. Um, forget the year, but we made a decision that we were going to take our uh, flagship chapter and split it. Split it. Um, I was. We were anchored in Wentzville, Missouri, which is Western St. Charles County, and we were going to split between Western St. Charles County and Eastern St. Charles County, which was uh, pretty daunting because I wasn't integrated in Eastern St. Charles County, and I'm. I was very integrated in my own community. And it was almost like going into a new world. And let me tell you, uh, if I had to detail all the missteps that were taken in the past 10 years, we wouldn't have time and nobody would be interested in listening. But I think that with any business, you hit those really, those highs where you think, we got it. Now we've got it. We have right. the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. And then a minute later, you're like, oh, what the hell just happened here? <laughs> like, I thought we had this all figured out. And now what? So I think that now being 400 plus members strong and spanning five counties in the region, I think we still have those highs and lows of, yes, we have this mastered and, oh, what do we, what do, we do next? 400 people is a significant organization. Yes, it is. When you, especially when it's concentrated in a, in a geographic region. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, we have several million people here, but 400 people is a powerful group. Um, how do you feel about that, about having 400 women engaged in, empowered. It, well, empowered, but also committed to the vision that you made some 10 years ago. Yeah, let me tell you, I'm trying to put my thoughts together in the cohesive, because now I had about 20 of them all come at me at once. It is humbling and flattering and empowering to understand that we have 400 women who have invested not only their money because it's a membership-driven organization business model, but their time, their talent, their commitment to other women. They've committed all, they, they are committed. 25% um, of those 400 have been members for longer than five years. So um, it is more than just a an organization. It is a, the intangible is the feel. It's the feel of 400 women in different areas around the region all running together in the same direction to make stuff happen. That's cool. It's very cool. Um, the financial impact that we have on our respective communities is um, impressive. And uh, it, it, I have a lot of pride in knowing that not only is my initial group of people making a positive impact, 
but now we're making positive, big, positive impacts in outlying communities like Hannibal, Missouri, right. which is, you know, not a place that I'm even integrated. Like, they don't know who I am. I right. don't know the mayor up there. I don't know any of the people up there. But those ladies up there are making a huge impact on Hannibal. So it is, um, if I think about it, if I allow myself to think about it, it can become overwhelming. But I just keep uh, keep moving forward because um, the organization is changing lives. And I've had people say to my face, the women in Little Black Book, what I have created has changed my life. And so I think about interviews that I watch um, of celebrities or people who have gone through something and they say, if my story helps just one person, it'll all be worth it. And I think it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. How many more lives can we change for the better? Um, I've already had one person. I've probably had six or seven tell me that. And every time they tell me, I'm like, boom, yeah. That's awesome. And I take pride in watching them excel and hit their, their goals. Yeah, that's powerful. As a leader in any level, um, and, and, and I just, this is my opinion, if you're, if you're a good person, whatever that means, when someone that you have a leadership position with, not necessarily, I almost said over, but it's not, it's not how it works. You know, many, of a, many people lead from the middle, mm-hmm. maybe lead from behind, not above or below. But when you're in a leadership role and you get that affirmation that, that you made a difference, man, that, that's, that's gold. It is. That's it wealth. Is. And, that's um, the wealth. I lead from the heart. I'm always going to lead from the heart. Like I said earlier in the interview, what you see is what you get. I'm pretty transparent with, with everything. Um, but, yeah, it, it, is, it is powerful to watch this happen. And what's fascinating, this is, this is guys from a leadership perspective, when it's fascinating to me when I think about our members here in our, at our center, in our business, when they want the best for you as well, and they start celebrating your success. Yeah, they feel a part of it. They feel a part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember setting a business goal and like you, I'm very transparent here. I tell people in our centers that, look, your monthly memberships are what pay for our food, our clothes, our vacations. That's what. That's why you go into business mm-hmm. and start yeah. living. So when you pay your monthly membership here, some of that goes to rent, some of it goes to my wife, some of it goes to my kids' college, some of it goes to you know our vacation. So no, you know, the no lack of transparency there. Um, but when. When I set my first business goal, meaning a financial goal, and I hit it, and I bought myself a thing, I bought a new motorcycle. I'm like, I hit the goal, I'm buying the thing. Reward. I gave myself a reward. Absolutely. Risk-reward. And I, and I rode that motorcycle, and I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, I remember riding a motorcycle in that day. And I'm a, you know, at the time, late 40s, 50, early 50s, dude. And I'm like a child riding this motorcycle. And I got the wind in my short little stubby hair. (laughs) And I pull up, and there were some members there. And they said, nice bike. And I said, thank you. 
And when'd you get that? I just got it today. I just rewarded myself for a business call. Really? Yeah. How, tell me about that. And I said, well, we started this business and I set a goal as soon as we help this many people and I make this much money, I'm going to reward myself. And they were proud to be a part of that. Yeah. That was powerful. That's powerful. And then when, the, so tell me, t- have you rewarded yourself? I have. So I, and we've talked, I know we've had um, lunch conversations that I'm not a person who, I'm not a stuff person. I don't need stuff. I don't need a lot of stuff. Um, I like driving the car that I have. Uh, I like living a modest life. I don't need stuff. My reward is treating my family to vacation, paying for the whole thing, taking them someplace that we all want to be together. And I, I, I did that last year for the first time. I did it last year for the first time. We were gone for seven nights. Um, I paid for all of it. It wasn't cheap. Yeah. I didn't bat an eye. We didn't skimp on anything. I worked hard for it. I saved the money and I yeah. spent it all. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I reward myself. And how did your how did Little Black Book feel about that? Did anybody give you feedback on that? No. I don't think so. No, um, I we celebrate one another's wins, so That's it's a cul- okay for me. It's a me, culture, yeah. It's okay for me to win. You know, I wouldn't want to tell some tell a member of mine you deserve <laughs> this, and not have the and not have them see what that looks like. You know, yeah. It's, it's really a stab in the back for them if I don't lead by example, right? You know, because if I tell her she deserves it, but then I model by cowering, that does not serve her purpose right. it doesn't help her so i'm not flashy and i don't i'm not i don't need a lot of conspicuous consumption but i love to travel and i'm going to do a lot of it in the next couple of years clearly it's your love language it is all right and danielle's sitting here too this whole time very quiet how do you feel about it you were there you want to talk yes for everything or what are we talking about no for the vacation how oh yeah in orlando you're talking about yes yeah, it was awesome. What was your favorite part of it? Ooh, uh, we went to both Universal and Epcot. Never been to... Nobody does both. We did both. Uh, <laughs> never been to Universal. We went because of Harry Potter World. We're huge Harry Potter fans. Awesome. And we splurged and got like the fast pass. We got to skip all the lines. And right on. We got the, the wands that hit the, <laughs> the Bluetooth sensors and do stuff. So that was really cool. We really enjoyed that. But I think Epcot... Um, we went on my brother's birthday, and we just had a great time. Awesome. Yeah. So how's it been for you coming up watching your mom? I mean, you know, you've known her, you know, your whole life. True. So going back to the – you were very young in the corporate days, though, right? Yeah, I don't remember the don't corporate remember days. But you remember the being home and then the cake and – Yeah, I remember lots of cake. <laughs> we <laughs> ate lots of cake. <laughs> Here, try this. No. <laughs> yeah, actually, we, after a while, we were like, oh, we don't want more cake, but right. definitely fun. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about your mom's path? Uh, I think it's very cool to see, especially because I saw the cake and, and how it exploded, um, and then I got to saw the organic growth of the organization and the people who were involved early, and I get to see the successes and the failures and now like I get to tell all my friends like all my friends want to come to Burbash at the end of the year and I was like okay well you gotta know like it's black tie like it's gotta be (laughs) it's gonna be big um and it's just very interesting to see the whole thing explode from start to finish the only other person that's done that is her right um 
so I think it's it's been really fun and enjoyable to watch. Has that has your mother's path? And this is kind of a dumb but not dumb question. Has your mother's path impacted you in your planning of your future? Yeah. So um, I just graduated with an undergraduate degree in business. Congratulations. Which, thank you. Um, I I did really enjoy, but I don't think I would have gotten into it without her influence. In in high school, I went into DECA, which is a, a high school club for business people um, or students who are interested in business. Mm-hmm. And it's a competition, and I placed top 10 internationally in nice. my competition. And it was kind of very difficult for me because I was one of the only women in the class that are doing it, and my team was comprised of women and my teacher was a male and so he was up front and he was like this is going to be difficult right. you're going to face people internationally that look at you guys and see women and think that they're going to win and so we had to face a lot of that and I think that her influence made me be like we got this right why why are we not able to do this and we won internationally top 10 that's Woo-hoo. a fabulous success Angel you, you're just kind of looking at your I'm watching you watch Danielle as she's speaking. You have children, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry, I only only brought one mic. But I do have children, so how'd that feel hearing her tell that? Uh, Well, my love and pride for Danielle goes so deep. And I do, uh, I admire her, and and I've said out loud to a number of my friends that when I grow up, I would like to be more like her. You know, I I see her as a polished version of of me. and so I take a lot of pride in, in her. She left, she left the home at age 18 and moved to Colorado by herself to go to school. You know, she's very pioneering in, in her own yeah. family. And so, yeah, I, I know she doesn't, she's not as sappy as I am, but I, I am very inspired by her. I believe that you know, there are families that have, like, generations of lawyers or doctors or whatever, you know. Much of us were, you know, working class families. And, um, like, my family, my wife and myself, we have, not that they don't work, and not that I'm not working class, but I'm not a machinist, I'm not a welder, I'm not a, mm-hmm. you know, we have a long line of blacksmiths. Mm, long really? German heritage mm-hmm. of swinging hammers and farming and you know we just worked hard right well here we have with you know my wife and I own several businesses and the only time I sweat is when I exercise you know it's different yeah but I set out to do that at some point in my life which was later in life I'm a late bloomer I hear you. Respect. But later in life, I realize, you know, I don't want to work for someone else. But I feel like this is the beginning of a generational shift. Do you feel um, like I, that I at do. all? I do. And the older I get and the more seasoned and experienced that I feel I am, the more I feel it. I was raised, um, my father went to... He got an associate's degree, and that was the best that had, you know, from his family. My mother didn't have any advanced degree. I was the first Smith, my maiden name, to go to college, you know, for generations. Yeah. 
And um, so I can see how my children are already elevated past that. I was raised to get married and have babies. And I did those things. I did them very well. She was raised to follow her heart and her path and do what makes her happy. Um, And now I have enough um, experience to understand that I, too, can follow my own path and make myself happy. Right. You know, I don't have to be... Um, fall in line with my parents' expectations or society's expectations. I only have to fall in line with my own expectations and my own sense of morality. In in leadership education that I've surrounded myself with, mm-hmm. there's an idea that only 5% of the people will be, quote-unquote, a success, successful. Um, a certain amount will, you know, because we're taught, you know, we were taught, we're, you know, we're not 18. I know you're only 29, but. Yeah, almost. I'm almost 29. Um, you know, we were taught, you know, I mean, college was always an option. I went for a year and I dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated, I loved high school. I hated college. And at that point, it was just, well, you know, go out and get a great job. Advance. Go out and get a job. And so many people just. You know, they wander. Maybe they go to college or maybe they get out and they go to the military and get out. And then it's like, well, hey, we're, they're hiring down at the plant. You know, it's $20 an hour. Oh, that's good money. And you get on and you get some benefits. And then you get your job and then you go home, watch TV. You buy your boat. You get the condo down at the lake. And, boy, you got it made. And that's it for the next 50 years, right? I have a right? lot of friends that live that life. And you know what? I mean, I have to say the truth is is there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not enough for you and me, is it? Yeah, it's not my path. It's not. And it's not, you know, you're not a materialistic person. And I'm not talking about acquiring the big house and the big cars. And Although I'd really like to have an Aston Martin. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Well, you have to put it out in the universe. <laughs> Anybody to... listen, listen now. I'm, I'm interested in an Aston Martin. So um, the 95% of the people will kind of follow that path. The 5% will realize that there is a path for you, your path. And you, you need to find it. Mm-hmm. And much of your 20s is just a waste. It's just trying to find, like shooting the arrow and following it, right? Yeah. You know that song, Follow Your Arrow Wherever It Goes. You know, and I, I see both of my children in, in their 20s doing that. And I shouldn't and say I, it's a waste. It's it's a valuable time. It because is, but it, you embrace it, right? Embrace right. It. It, it, it. Embrace that variability. Mm-hmm. Embrace the... The change, my son Patrick is taking flying lessons now, and he's really interested in becoming an airline pilot. Well, before I became a pilot, that would have never been an option for mm-hmm. him. How exciting is that, right? Yeah. And like you mentioned about Danielle, her options are different than had you stayed housewife, which you would have been a tremendously successful housewife. I was. I was the best. Right. Of course you were. You love your kids, you teach them, you train them. I was good at it. But look at the doors that you've opened. And I think that what her generation has that maybe I'm still trying to learn is that you don't have to you don't have to pick a journey and stick with it. You can continue to change your mind all the time. You know, my um, as an example, my son who's going to be twenty five soon 
He has a, he left the home at 18 as well, moved to Nashville. He has a degree in sound engineering. He's now um, just working a job so that his partner Meg can get her graduate degree from the University of Wisconsin. When she graduates, he plans to get a degree in education so that he can teach music history. But before he does that, they plan to take 90 to 120 days off after her graduation and backpack through Europe. Bam. And we never would have done that, never you would, and I. Never, never, ever, because I was raised to get married and have a family. Mm -hmm. I was not raised to go explore the world, my sexuality, any of those right. things. I was, um, and I, I did what I, because I'm a compliant person. I'm a rule follower. Yeah. I am so, a two by heart. And so becoming a business owner was hard for me because you have to break some rules. Right. You don't, you don't break the law. And, and you don't break just, And it's just the mindset right. of, I can, I don't have to be in my office at eight to five. I, right. you know. My dad, my dad was raised to get a job, become a corporate guy. He worked at Boeing and, well, McDonnell Douglas, which became mm -hmm. Boeing. Get the pension. You know, you got the union job. He hated the union. But the truth was the union was good for us as a family. And you, and you would plan on having that 20, 25, 30-year career. Well, that changed. And now and I'm, I keep looking over at Danielle when I'm saying this because the younger generation now, you guys had to shift. Because there's no guarantee of getting a job where you get the pension. Well, anymore. there's no loyalty. Those days are gone. In, right, right. But and I don't I know if that, it... Um, what, they, what maybe their generation doesn't have that a lot of my generation and certainly my parents' generation had is complacency. You know, they're just, they're not content with complacency. They continue to... Um, self-develop and move and and embrace the fact that they're adults and they can do what they want to do and not what someone else expects them to do. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's good. Um, my oldest is 18, and he's very much aware because we've trained it into him that he can do his, his career of choice. Right. Um, so... It's true that you can be what what you want to be but I don't know that everybody believes that to be true I don't think so I think that there's such a there is a, a tremendous complacency and a, and, a, and a resignation you know when I travel in other in certain areas and I drive through towns and I think of you know the people that are working at the factory some of them love it most of them probably don't and they can't wait for five o'clock you know I've never been a thank god it's Friday guy yeah I get excited I have. I get excited when it's Monday. Now, don't we? Do you get excited when Monday's coming? Oh yeah, I feel like I work all the time. Though I don't feel like I have traditional office hours or hours yeah, because I don't, yeah. uh, not only am I working in the business a lot, I work on the business in my mind all the time. Yeah, I want to ask some questions about leadership. This podcast is called "People Who Influence People: Influence and Leadership," but I think these questions are interesting. And the truth is, I just Googled them. I got them off LinkedIn. Oh, boy. Um, I hope I'm qualified to answer. Let's find out. It's uh, it's actually on Michael Hyatt. I don't know who Michael Hyatt is. He's a New York Times bestselling author and leadership expert. Okay. Expert. So he has questions about leadership. Can you name a person who has a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Maybe someone who has been a mentor or... Um, 
Do you have someone that you look at as a, as a mentor or who has had impact on you? Um, I, I do. Um, and if, I do. if the answer is no, it's okay. I, I, I do. So I'm just going to tell you the first thing that came to my mind. And if I were given time to ponder, I might change my, um, my answer. But there's an individual in our community who I look up to as a leader and as a mentor. Um, he's a business owner. Should I say who it is? Sure. Uh, it's Mark Hollander. So Mark Hollander has, um, he paid his dues in the world of banking. Um, he is a, um, he's a fair-minded person. He does not have a chip on his shoulder. He is uh, willing to listen to ideas and offer honest uh, feedback. He is a, an entrepreneur, and they're setting themselves up to just have a, an enterprise and a dynasty down there. But never has he um, given me the impression that I'm, that I'm bothersome to him or that my questions aren't valid. He's just always been that person who has led by example and been happy to celebrate those around him. I agree, and I've interviewed Mark on this podcast, and I've known Mark for almost six years. And Mark is part of my success story as well. So we we call people out on this podcast. We call them out. Um, I agree. Mark's all of those things that you said and more. Yeah. Um, What are the most important decisions that you make as a leader of your organization? The most important decisions that that I make, I think, are um, for the better good. What decision are we going to make that is going to feed the mission, add value to our membership, and propel the organization forward financially? So um, that's not to say we haven't made lots of bad decisions, but right. you, I think any decision that you make in business need to be true to the mission, true, true to the clientele, and uh, propelling. Well, all great decisions have back of them a whole bunch of bad ones, right? Yes. What's the, whatever, they, whatever Ben Franklin has said about, or Thomas Jefferson, I think, has said about all of the ideas that failed just, you know, leading you to the right yeah, thing. The ne- yeah, exactly. The yeah. next step towards the best one. So this is a great question I never would have thought mm-hmm. to ask. Uh, which is, and, and I only ask this because, I wasn't going to, but I, I only ask it because you said, you mentioned how you make decisions and, 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 and the most important type of decisions. So which is the most important to your organization? Mission, core values, or vision? Don't they all work together? Okay. I, I feel like the core values drive the mission, right? With and without vision, there there's none of the above. I don't know that I could have answered that better, because I agree with you. Okay, I, I read that question and I thought it's kind of a trick question. I don't know that somebody can answer that, 
but you, wow, you nailed it. That, that's impressive. I'll take it. I'll take my A plus with me as I A walk plus out. Plus. Thank you very much. Um, where do great ideas come from in your organization? Um, they either come from my sleep patterns or <laughs> what I'm doing in the shower. Uh, Fair. Um, being, being a visionary personality type, I can't stop the ideas from coming. My challenge is taking all of the ideas that are swirling up there and bringing them down into something that's executable. So that's the challenge because certainly I can make an argument for all of the ideas, right. but what are the ones that make the most sense that fill the mission and propel the membership forward? So you've really had a transformation in your life, I see, from being someone who gets things done. And and please don't, I hope I picked the right words. Please don't misunderstand me. If you misunderstand me, it's my fault. You've gone from someone who does the laundry, plans the home, executes the, 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 the work, to, show, to someone who truly is a, a, a visionary. And I think I still had vision when I was doing those things, though. You know. Do you think that uh, you were just... Did you daydream a lot? Oh, I always daydream a lot. I, that's part of... My growth as a human is spending time daydreaming. I always do that. So now, is your role primary, primarily visionary? No. My role is uh, still very multifaceted. So we are in a growth period, and it's going to uh, require me to get back down into the trenches a little bit. Okay. It's sort of like what we talked about with you earlier. Yeah. I can't remember if we were um, on on air or off air, but um, yeah, we started this podcast before <laughs> I hit record. I mean, the, she just dove in and she started asking me questions. I was like, "Hold on, it's my show." No, <laughs> I have I questions. Love that. I need answers to them. I love that. But uh, yeah, so I plus I enjoy I enjoy what I do. Right. So uh, being in the marketplace is, is fun for me. Being in, I suffer from the same things that I think every professional suffers from. Even though I network all the time and I'm very comfortable talking to people, being engaged in a community where I'm not inserted is always a challenge, right? It's daunting. It's a little bit intimidating. And so with growth patterns, I'm forced back into that um, position of pioneering a new community. Uh, so I would like to say that my primary role is visionary, and I can do that from a villa in Paris, but it's not. I'm still in the trenches making sure that things are, things are operating. I always ask a question or two that aren't really fair. Okay. This one's not fair. Okay. Are you happy there in that role? Sometimes. Sometimes. So I think that sometimes I am happy in the role and sometimes I'm not happy in the role. Is that a fair answer? It's honest. Um, a lot of times I, and sometimes I can be happy and unhappy in the same day. I can be unhappy that I have a task ahead of me that's going to require me to get out of my comfort zone. And then after I've gone through the task or the appointment, I feel empowered and I mm -hmm. think this is what I do it for. So I can feel both things in the same day. Yeah, I, I agree. As business owners or organization leaders, it's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You know, like you mentioned earlier, 
like, man, we really got this figured out. And then one thing changes and it's like, oh my God, we're crumbling. Right. We're, we're, we're the, flaming the world the is fire. on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that, and what I, what I sell is a service and a lot of it is an, an intangible. So, um, it, it, there's a feeling involved in what you say. Very sell. much so. It's like, I relate it to buying a new house. If you're buying a house, you know, if you're on the house hunt and you walk into a property, you're like, yes, this is for me. Or, oh no, this is, this is not my place. Right. Right. So a lot of that is, um, a feel and, and are there women who come to your organization and say, nope, not sure. Me. Of course. Of course. Do you chase them? I used to. Good for you. <laughs> there are people that come into our business and you know what? You're, you're, you're just not my customer. Yeah. And it's okay. You know, but I think that that comes along with, um, maturing as a business owner and as an entrepreneur and right. understanding it's not personal, it's, yeah. it's business. And what I have to offer is pretty niche and it's not going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Huh. Because if someone were to come into little black book as a member and it wasn't their cup of tea, but they were sticking around, it wouldn't be a good situation for anyone. Right. Yeah. You don't want to engage with somebody that you can't impact. Um, and you know what? The truth is, is there are women out there who just have it already. They have what you're selling. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're, it's not their season to give back. Or maybe, you know what I mean? But certainly, yes. do you want women who already are empowered Oh, and yes. powerful in your yes, organization? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the vision of the organization really is to meet you where you are. And if you're empowered, please bring it to us yeah, because yeah. there's there's two reasons to come. If you're having a bad day, there's going to be someone in the room that's going to have what you need. And if you're having a good day, there's going to be someone in the room that is going to need what you yeah. have. You know, I, I always say on this this podcast that this isn't a Christian podcast, but I'm a Christian. And um, there's a faith tenet. As you mature in faith, as you have build, you d- build this relationship with Christ, you're a consumer at first, right? You're largely empty. You know, people come to Christ when they realize that they're broken. That's mm-hmm. largely when people finally right. accept it. And you're this empty cup, or imagine a, a, a lake that's empty. They begin to fill up, right? And you begin to mature in faith. And and this I'm, this is simply a, a business analogy as well. Because faith and business are wonderfully in tandem. So the river starts to fill up and you, you begin to grow in faith and you start to learn some of those things about how to be and what your role is in life and, and your special gifting, your superpowers, right? And you're full, right? If you don't give it away... Right. You're going to be stagnant. That water and will... And it's wasted. The water will begin to... Think about ponds and lakes. They begin to grow algae. Mm-hmm. And unless it's a healthy ecosystem, the healthiest ones have a healthy spillway. Right? Mm-hmm. It comes in and it goes out. Yes. That's the only way. So if you take it in, in, in your organization, if there's a powerful, healthy woman... Who says I want in? What do you? What's? What do you? What's your first thought? Well, you want to you want to surround yourself with people that you want to be surrounded 
by, right? right? So I want to be surrounded by powerful, empowered women because they're going to challenge me to rise. They're going to challenge me. You know, I don't want to surround myself with people that are not going to challenge me in any way. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be the dumbest person in the room. So I embrace those powerful women coming into the group. Yeah, because, you know, gosh, you give them an outlet. And how am I going to learn and grow if I don't, you know, have aspirations of my own? So how do you describe your leadership style? Laid back. Are you? Very. (laughs) Okay. Danielle, would you agree? (laughs) She's really looking for the words. (laughs) You're Um, so on the spot. I love it. I, yes and no. I think that sometimes you can be very laid back and sometimes you're like, this is what I want. Execute yeah, and but deliver. That, do you, do, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that's leadership or do you feel that's a... Yes. I do too. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Because you can be laid back, but some, you know what? Sometimes you let, have to let things develop. Um, in our organization, I love it when, when people make decisions here. When our managers here say, Mike, I want to do this, that's great. But I, I like it even more when they say, Mike, this is what I've done. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Because we can't do it all. You want to bring women up in your organization to make decisions, right? Of course. And we want to give them the tools and the resources necessary to do it and empower them. You know, I don't want them to feel like mom's always looking over their shoulders. Right. I'm not a micromanager. They, to Danielle's point, we have expectations. We have goals. We know what needs to be done. Make it happen. Do you spend time on personal development? Yes, I do. You mind sharing? Sure. You do? Sure. Um, well, I read a lot. Thank you, by the way, for the book. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I spend time um, journaling. I spend time um, in quiet meditation, and I also invest in um, business self-development with a business strategist. So having somebody who is outside of my staff who I can ask, you know, their opinion on strategic moves is, is empowering, and a lot of it lies within you know of course and she always steers me back to what is within and just being bold enough to pull that pull it out yeah uh business coaching or that type of oversight that you're mentioning man i just think that if you're a business leader a business owner and you're not paying for a coach mm-hmm. I think yeah i've heard out. it for years and it is uh I've heard it for years, and I think when you're dealing with independent business owners where every single nickel counts, people do not see the value. They can't justify the value because they can't see the forest for the trees. Right. And um, we're, we're trying to help women, select women, understand their potential by introducing them to those services, and we're seeing great things from them. You know, but it takes it again. It's a mindset. It's a I don't deserve this. I can't afford this. Sometimes it is um, a scarcity mindset. Yeah. You know, and but yeah, and 
further into my self-development, I also feel that um, theater, art, travel, all of those things are so important to me as an individual in terms of my own self-development and the development of my children. For example, like when my kids were little, I wouldn't bat an eye about pulling them out of school for three days to take them on a trip somewhere to the you know rock and roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland because yeah. I know what they're going to get in terms of experience, experiential education. My wife does that. I w- would never have thought to bring my to take my kids out of school for something. Like I went, to, I did perfect attendance. Mm. Wow, that was a big deal to me. I was proud of that. And then my wife, one day, she's like, well, I want to go visit my mother. I'm going to take Kathleen out of school. I'm like, the heck you say? <laughs> she's like, what do you mean? It's, it's school. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, right, it's school, you know? And she's like, no, I'm taking her out of school. I, but I and feel like my, my children have an edge for that reason. Do you feel the same way about your children? Now I do because of my wife's wisdom. And now, like you said, we don't bat an eye. Taking, taking them to Red Rocks for a concert. Right. We'll take them yes. out of school for that. We'll take them out of school for that. We'll yeah. take them out of school for camping. We'll take them out of school for almost anything. Because now, especially as a business owner, I understand the purpose of education more than ever. Right. And, and the education of life. Right, I would say that my children have an edge. They both left the home at 18. They went, moved to different states on their own to build their own life. How many of their peers can say the same thing? Right. And how many of their peers fall into that complacency? How many of their peers that had perfect attendance can say that they are on a path right. of happiness, healthy relationships, and productivity in life? Right. Right, and how many can say that my mom is the leader of a 400-strong... Well, I know two that can. I know two. <laughs> yeah, when uh, when the kids say things to their friends that, you know, they'll never say them to you. Right. But when it gets back to you that they say, like, that they said something in school about they're proud of what their parents have done, that's a big deal for a parent. That's a big deal. It is... Um it is a big deal, and I feel like I'm always trying to strive toward that goal of making my children feel proud of me. Um, I know sometimes I think, ugh, they must think I'm um, an idiot. They must think, you know, what, are they, what do they think of this or that that I've done? But I always, in the back of my mind, I think have that. Um, at the end of the day, I want my children to have a sense of pride in, in what it what I do and what I stand for and what I've accomplished. From a, a perspective of influence, especially in the community, um, most of the people that I've interviewed that I've had on the podcast really don't feel like an influence, you know? Mm-hmm. But I know better because I see that what they're producing. Yeah, you know uh, wh- about the tree by the fruit it produces. Right. Right. So do you feel like you have been influential? And I just want I want you to be honest. And and there's no judgment for pride here. 
and there's no judgment for lack of it. So do you feel that you've been influential in the community? I'm going to take this all the way back to your Facebook post that you put out when I know that you were starting to curate this idea. Um, it's probably years ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. An influencer is someone who drives other people to action. And I am 110% that. Um, building a what I'm considering a, an enterprise from absolute zero is just one example. The impact that my organization has had on the Toys for Tots Foundation and how we're able to collaborate with over 120 individual businesses such as your own to collect toys on behalf of the greater good, that's influence. It is. And, and, and Little Black Book is the largest contributor? We are the, and have been for three, maybe four years. We are the largest contributor to the Toys for Tots Foundation in the greater St. Louis area, but that's not where it stops. The Marines we deal with in St. Louis, they service eight counties in the greater St. Louis area. We also have um, independent drives in Lincoln County, Missouri, Marion County, Missouri, and Madison, Illinois. So we are actively um, spearheading four independent drives on behalf of Toys for Tots. But the impressive part of Little Black Book being the largest donor to Toys for Tots in the greater St. Louis area is that the greater St. Louis area is the third largest collection in the, in the country behind Los Angeles and New York City. So when you think about the gravity of that, it's very impressive. You start putting the piece of the puzzle to get, and you realize, wow, this is, a na this is impactful nationally. <clears throat> That's huge. <clears throat> so, very much so. And I just had a thought bubble. Squirrel. How did you come up with the name Little Black Book? Uh, it's intentional. So uh, if you go with the stereotypical Little Black Book from the 50s, maybe it's older than the 50s, but it was a man's tool that had his ladies of the night or his what I would consider. <laughs> I'm laughing because I had a Little Black right? Book. Right? It's an address book, right? It's Phone your, numbers. It's your contacts. Yeah. Um, and those are your go-to people. Yeah. Those are the go-to people. So if you reimagine what the Little Black Book did stand for and bring it into um, today, that's what that's the meaning behind it. We yeah, are cool. we are your go-to people. That's very cool. Coming up from the cake story, and I know you've mentioned you've always been a visionary to some degree. And I think most people have the ability to vision cast, but not everybody's good at it. And certainly not everybody is a good integrator. You, you just kind of like almost giggled. Why? Yeah. Uh, I have good integrators. I know that that's, I am a detailed person, but it's not my strength. My strength is to see and go, see and go. Yeah. There's a classic, there's a classic analysis tool that divines styles of, divines superpowers. And if you're a, a venturer or a, a visionary, 
you're often you often have some integration skills, but you're certainly not good at it. But it's interesting about integrators. Integrators are better visionaries than visionaries are integrators. Mm. And finding great integrators is hard. I got lucky then. Integrators in business are the secret sauce because they're the glue that holds everything together. They are. They're the they're the general manager of everything. Mm-hmm. And um, they're often the general manager of the visionary. Oh, very much. Didn't we have that experience this morning? Yeah, very much. <laughs> She's uh, motioning over to Danielle. Um, do you often disagree with your leadership? Or do you sometimes disagree with leadership in your group? No. So my leadership is we're all on the same page. Now, my staff... Um, we have healthy disagreements, but not about anything of value. Most of the disagreements that we may have may be in tactic or in, um, in scope, but not in the mission or the value or anything like that. But not, not an end result, not in. No. Okay. Mm-mm. What's... What's the most important personality trait or strength that that someone would need to put to, to organize a group of people towards a singular purpose? Conviction? Persistence? Hmm. It's a good question. I, I think that um, being purpose-driven, passionate, dedicated, um, unwavering, those are all the skills that it, you need if you're going to try to influence someone to come your way. You just have to be authentic, honest, and communicative. Wow, I think I feel like I pulled out all the words. I think you got them all. I think I got There's them all. Probably some more we're yeah, missing. Probably. Yeah. But no, I think that um, if if I were to put my myself in those shoes, I think my my best um, characteristic is my authenticity. And so my authentic need to lead from the heart and have you follow me because this is what we're going to do together and this is the impact that it's going to make, that's probably my strongest characteristic as a leader and an influencer. Often people in benevolent-type groups... And I'm saying benevolent-type groups because I think Little Black Book has a huge... Um, offering to women um, a huge give mm-hmm. right I think it's a yes. it, it's a big give it's one of our pillars it is so there's a benevolence giving without expectation of return but every organization needs to be profitable mm-hmm. if you're not profitable you're going to die yes and that comes in for profit or non for profit when I Interviewed Barb Griffith with mm-hmm. Community Living. Yeah. We talked about, hey, it's a nonprofit, but does that mean you can not be profitable? Heck no. Little Black Book must be profitable yes. to grow and to thrive. It is. How, what's your mindset towards that? Like, you have to be aware of the money, mm-hmm. but you have a director of 
finance or whatever, right. whatever that role is called. Mm-hmm. And um, is that Jill? Jill Shaver. She is awesome. Yes. She, I coached her, and I was blown away by her. Um, I'm not surprised. But um, what, do you often do you look at that? Do you look at the the profit centers? Are you every week? Okay, so you're a hands-on. We Let, see the numbers every week. Uh, I I know that we, where we are in terms of our sales goal. I know we are where we are in terms of our retention goal. I know where we I know where we have made some missteps in expenditures. I know it all. We have a year planned. We have a budget. We have goals. We're driving toward it. Um, profit's the name of the game, right? And um, I need all of the women that are at my back to understand that money and profit is not a dirty word. It's not. It's necessary, and every organization must be profitable. It's not the mission. It's not the goal. Right. And it's not. It is for us. I mean, we're we're an S-corp, so we're a business development agency. But it it has to be a, it has to be part of the core of the organization to be profitable. If you don't write down, you know, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this, and we will be profitable. Like what we do here without profit, I can't be open. Of course. And then so, how do you then how do you serve the people that have a need for you? Right. You know, it's those people who make the money who make the difference. Yep. You know, and and we see it because we're in the same community and we know a lot of the same people. And you can probably identify the people who don't understand that their good idea for a business isn't a business idea. Right. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it can't. It doesn't necessarily mean it. People that want to, oh, Mark Hollander aside, Mark and his beautiful wife, yeah. Melissa, aside, the idea of opening another coffee shop isn't necessarily a viable thing. Or, you know, I want to do this or that or, you know. Um, well, they're both financial people. So they understand that there may not be a whole lot of profit in coffee, but look at what they're what they've built that they're selling beyond right. the coffee, right? right. So and your product to, doesn't have to give you the profit, right? Your primary product, your primary product is empowering women, mm-hmm. right? It's intangible, right? But how do you profit off of that? And I'm not asking you that; you don't have to answer that question. But I, one of my coaching students, when I sat down with this person, I asked her. We went over her business, and I asked, I asked Chase, so well, how, how are you, tell me how you acquire a new business. Tell me the sales process. She says, I hate sales. I hate the word salesman. Like, I'm like, and she, she was noticeably upset. Like, salesmen mm. are slime buckets. Mm. I'm like, okay, let's go with that. And one of the challenges with, that I had with this person, this student was, changing her mindset of sales and the sales process. I have a belief that I've come to, um, that I've acquired. It isn't my original idea, but it's gelled from my coaches. And that is a salesperson, a salesman or woman, I'll say salesman because that's what I say, anybody. Salesman, being a salesman, is the most noble profession 
you can have in business. Now, there are sleazy ones. There are slimy ones. Sure. But, there are, but think about what a salesperson does. Takes a need in society and connects the person with the need with a solution. Yeah. And profits from it. It's an honorable transaction. And that's my belief. So my desire is to be as the best salesman that I can be. Well, this, this student said, w- was just like, no, salesmen are slime. They're horrible. They're awful people. I'm like, okay, let, we need to work on this. So over time, that was one of the largest focuses of, of our coaching sessions was reworking the mindset of sales. So my question is, do you approach member acquisition as sales? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, and, and then what do you think even, about we sales? We even call it uh, sales. It's recruitment, recruitment and retention. So um, I, like you, also feel that you need to identify a need or, you know, my mission is driving. We're looking for the people who have this need right. and we're going to fill it for them. Um, our challenge with the sales process is that a lot of women are skeptical that they have the need or that this is going to be uh, an organization of um, welcoming because I think a lot of women's uh, experiences are that other women are mean, right? And we had mentioned that earlier and that's what's really driving this. One of the tragedies I think that I see, and it's in men and women, um, but maybe more so in women. I don't know. I'm not one. One of the tragedies that I see in, in, in people is that they don't, like we talked we talk about before, we don't know, we don't know. Like someone who clearly needs something, but they don't know they need it. Right. And I can think back to when I first hired my, I had my first business coach, and then I fired him because he was saying things that I had heard on YouTube and that I'd read in books. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy's worthless, and I'm paying a lot of money for this guy. Fired him. A year, two years later, I hired the same guy. And my life has changed because I realized that the things that he was telling me are the same things that I was hearing on YouTube and reading in the books, but he was the one there holding me accountable. Interesting. And he hasn't told me anything that I don't already know. It's the truth, though, isn't it, Mike? And I sat in a meeting with him last week, and I'll say his name, Sean McCloskey. Oh, my God, I know Sean McCloskey. (laughs) He's, my, he's a good, close friend of my brother's. I've known him for probably 30 years. So if you know Sean, you know you would, you would never guess that he's a brilliant business coach. Listen, let me tell you a story. Let me just tell you a story. Because I know him because he and my brother Ken were uh, musicians in a band together for years That's how and years I met and him. Years and years, right? I know. Years and years and years. I know Ken. Yeah. We've hung out at Sean's house. Yeah. And so I would, I'm like, like, this is my brother's hobo friend. Like, this is, he's not for real, but he is for real. He's and the real deal. Yeah, he's the so real deal. I hired, so I got to know Sean through music mm-hmm. and on Facebook. Yeah. And I hired him, and I fired him, and I hired him again. And we recently had a meeting where I told him some ideas that I was having, 
And this is the beauty of a business coach. He looks at me and says, Mike, you're stupid. You're an idiot. Here's why you're an idiot. And here's why what you're doing is not right for you. And he told me everything that I already knew. Yeah. Things that I have told my students. Sure. But, you're, but you just can't admit it to yourself. You, right. So that's why I think coaching is so important. Yeah. I think that everyone needs that. And, that's and awesome. I, you can tell Sean I to call him a hobo. I, he might listen to this one because of that. <laughs> but um, so you have you have KPI in your organization just mm-hmm. like every other yep. organization. Yeah, that's good to know. It's yeah, and we and we know when you know when we hit it. Recently, because we've been so successful, we're hitting our monthly KPI and we're uh, you know exceeding and. Um, the J months are always terrible for us. But, yeah, so we have all of that in writing and ready mm-hmm. to go, and we know where we stand and all of those indicators. Yeah. I had to bring in a brilliant friend of mine to look at my P&Ls because I, I, I'm a numbers guy, but I just glass over at that stuff anymore, you know. My happy place is certainly not there. It's, is, not, it, it's not for me either. Yeah, I just want to know the bottom line. So let's ask some fun questions and we'll right. wrap it up. Okay. Um, what do, well, this, I don't know, this is a weird question. What do people misunderstand about you most? Do people misunderstand things about you? I think I you already, think you know, so. you may have already addressed that. The first like, thing you said was that how much you like to be just normal. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I, I do feel like um, what you see is what you get. I, I push through social media and through my own brand, things that I'm doing and things that I'm involved in and um, things that are important to me. So I don't know that I feel necessarily misunderstood. Fair. You know, put on a pedestal maybe um, by some people. Yeah. But um, no, I, I feel like... I feel like I'm a welcoming, approachable person, so not necessarily misunderstood. When you think about marketing and branding, do you think more about business branding or personal branding for your company, your organization? Uh, they're one and the same. <laughs> so I, you know, you, you I'm sure you they can um, relate to that as well. But yeah, I'm the face of what's happening with Little Black Book. I mean, I, I know that in some people's phones, my name is Angel Black Book. So it, it really is one and the same. The mm-hmm. my my character, uh, the things that I'm engaged in, they all need to be reflective of what's happening in the business and vice versa. People want to engage with people they like. Yeah, they they're gonna, right. They're going to do business with me if they know, like, and trust me. And that's exactly. why I try to be transparent. And there's never a, I don't think you've ever felt that I'm pulling the wool over your eyes in any way or never. trying to, you know, deflect an air or, you know, push out something that is inauthentic. I think mm-hmm. that I, I, I'm always just, I am who I am. How did you meet your partner? Joe. <laughs> um, I, I actually attribute that to a mutual friend of, of ours. Uh, he's, a, um, he's a business leader in the St. Charles community. His name's Bob Engert, and he is a, an Edward Jones financial advisor. And um, he and Joe were college roommates. I knew that. They were college roommates, and Bob told me time and time again, you need to meet my friend Joe, you need to go out with my friend Joe, and I was very much not interested in in that, but uh, eventually they both wore me down to a nub as a team, I guess, and the rest is history. 
How would your parents describe what you do? Are, are you, do you still have your parents? No. Sadly, no. My parents are both deceased. Okay. Um, well, do you think that they would be proud of what you're doing? Oh, I had the best parents. I had a good, happy childhood. Um, they raised me to be the person that I am today. And I think that my father, who was a businessman, would just be um, extremely proud of what I've been able to accomplish. Uh, I have a photo of my father manhandling a box of toys out of um, a bar and grill back in the day when I think we probably collected a couple hundred toys. Um, and he would be astounded to see us putting um, 10,000 toys into oh, the back of a trailer tractor full. trailer. Yeah. Um, not to mention the strides that I've made in um, developing my own business. He was a business owner um, as well. And he told me always, do not be a business owner, take somebody else's money, it's so much easier. So I think he'd be really proud to see me be successful in entrepreneurship. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I am a little bit of both. Um, I'm very comfortable and I, I enjoy meeting new people and making new friends. Uh, but there comes a point when, um, when I feel I've been on for a while that I need to crash. So um, I have both characteristics. Are you able to really turn it off, though? Like when you're, when you're in your quiet time, when you're meditating, or when you're <clears throat> away, if you've mm -hmm. got to take a weekend away, you yep. and Joe go somewhere. You guys travel. Yes. Are you able to turn it off? 100%. You do? I, and I tell my girls all the time, I have no problems leaving the business at the door. Because I trust the people that we have put in place to run the business. And let's be honest, I'm not doing medical research to, you know, cure cancer in babies. So well, there isn't anything that can't be well, left at the door. Well, mistakes can handled. be hurtful, but, but you're not going to, you know, someone's not going to die. <laughs> right. I, what we're doing here is empowering women and getting them the education that they need to succeed. And... I've put some people in place that I feel very confident can do that while I'm away for seven days with my family. And when I'm away, I'm away. Who, you've got a large board mm -hmm. on Little Black Book, but do you have a core group? Mm -hmm. I do. Name them. Who so, are they? Um, Tell me who they are. Uh, Kimberly Rupert, who is a contractor for the business, she's our director of administration. She is a virtual assistant. She's the most important hire I've ever made. Uh, in 2017, when I hired her, I was her standards were that she required four hours of work at $25 an hour a month, and I was not able to pay myself $100 a month, so I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to pay her $100 a month. Um, but she is definitely my right hand, and she's there. Um, she doesn't blow smoke. I don't have anybody who's a yes person on my team, but she has definitely been around the longest and is the most um, important person to the business. She is the fixer. She's the person that fixes anything that's broken. The cleaner. She is. She's, she's the that. The glue. She's got, she's got all kinds of nicknames within the organization. The other person's Lisa Zweifel, who is a relatively new hire for us. But she uh, has a tremendous history. Indeed, she does. In 501c3 mm -hmm. work, yep. in 
organizing the troops towards Mm -hmm. a singular purpose. Yeah. And she also, uh, prior to that life, uh, for 20 years, she was a wedding planner. She was a business owner on, on her own, and she was a wedding planner. So in terms of knowing um, venues, meeting spaces, people, caterers, all the things that are needed to pull together an impressive event, like our uh, philanthropic gala or the women's conference that we produce, she handles all of that all of the contract negotiation, all of it. So, and she's just such a welcoming spirit. She really she is. is such a... I was with her in the vision program this year. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's pretty great. So those, uh, in addition to those people, Sherry Rule is on my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a real estate uh, professional. So we, we contract with her. She's not necessarily staff, but she really does... Um, she's our leadership development director, and she is the person who makes sure that our leadership teams all around the region are informed, they understand what we're doing. Um, and then Jeannie Strickland, who owns Boom Impact Graphics, and she's a graphic designer. She's also a visionary and a creative. She and I have been friends for 25 years. We met when our children were in elementary school, and we were PTA moms. Fun. Um, I wouldn't, I couldn't do anything without that woman specifically. Okay, last few questions. Favorite movie? Love Actually. All right. Do you have a favorite book? Mm. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. What are you reading now? Right now I'm reading a couple of things. I'm finishing up a huddle by... A Brooke um, Baldwin. It's Brooke Baldwin. Um, I am reading the Chris Voss book, Never... um, Gosh, what's the title of that book? It's a negotiating book. Never Settle. Never Settle for the Difference, I think. Chris Voss. Um, Those are the books that I'm reading right now. Yeah, he's the negotiator. Yeah, he's the negotiator. I've got one of his books as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would you have coffee with, living or dead, if you could? Anybody, anybody in history? Uh, I'd have coffee with Sarah Blakely. She's the founder and CEO of Spanx. And right now... I've, li- I've listened to her on a podcast. Mm-hmm. That woman She's is great, isn't she? a powerhouse. Yeah, so she would be my aspirational person. Uh, I, I really dig what she, she does. I dig that she's got a lot of uh, mechanical patents that other people rip off. But she's like, hey, there's enough for everybody. And... Uh, she's never sued anyone over the breach of one of her mechanical patents, yeah. and I think that that's admirable because it's not. She's got enough money for her children, and her children's children. So yeah. you don't need to control all the money. You just need to control, you know, yeah, what you need. That's a huge mindset in uh, in business and 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 in benevolence is that there is enough for everyone. There there is abundance if you can wrap your mind around it. There, there is, is plenty for everyone. Yeah. That's right. So I always ask, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you? (laughs) Because I always plan these, and they never go like I planned them. They are always so much better. Um, I guess professionally, I wish you would have asked me about the women's conference that we're producing, because I'm incredibly proud of that. Well, this is going to be on Spotify and all the places 
later tonight. Tell us about it. We're the Little Black Books, the only organization in the greater St. Louis region that's pulling together a women's conference in observation of International Women's Day, which is March the 8th. We had our flagship conference this, this year, 2022. And we kicked it off with um, what I consider St. Louis female business royalty, Maxine Clark. She's the founder and C- former CEO of Build-A-Bear. You guys, were, was this mentioned in one of the magazines recently? It was. Yes, I think was. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was really, really the objective of the conference is to highlight women in St. Louis, which is our home region, um, who have really made it to the top of their industry, their profession, of their business. And they uh, are willing to tell us their stories of misstep and trial and error and heartbreak and be really vulnerable with, with the women who attend the conference so that we can relate to these women that we look up to and aspire to be and understand that they have the same problems that we all have. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of mindset and moving past it and positivity to get to where you want to be. So I'm really proud of that, of that production that we're producing, and I'm looking forward to the 2023 event. That's going to be powerful. That's awesome. How many women do you expect there? We are expecting about 250 women to attend our second conference. But our goal is to get to a 600-person conference. Nice, nice. And I know we've gone long, and I, and I apologize in advance, but... Girls, re- stop apologizing. We're I really don't apologize, I was going to say, because I love this. Um, tell me, and, and I hope that this is my last question, but you can name the person, you can not name them, it doesn't matter to me. But tell me one of the most remarkable success stories in your organization that's not you yeah I have it someone who I, I got goosebumps in advance look I, seriously I got him somebody who joined Little Black Book mm-hmm. and has had a transformation I have two actually but I'm gonna I'm gonna choose one um, and I'm gonna tell you who it is it's Kim Eichelberger and she is a photographer and Kim Eichelberger came into Little Black Book She's one of the founding members way back, 2013-14. And she came in because all of her girlfriends were getting married and having babies. And that wasn't something that was of her interest. She worked for a, a, an aerial photography company in Chesterfield. And she was extremely unhappy with her profession. And But she went to work and she and her then boyfriend now husband both worked for the same company and they were both unhappy there and the small but mighty group that we had encouraged her to step out of that and into her own profession as an entrepreneur and she took that leap of faith and um, I think there was a point when she lived with parents or parents-in-law and there were ups and downs but 
Arguably, she is the most respected brand photographer in our region now. She owns three different photography companies that are all under an S-Corp umbrella. She has people that are doing work for her in satellite locations all over the nation. And she's, she's living the dream. She currently lives in Reno. She's moving back to St. Louis by the end of the year because of her husband's work. But in terms of success, just the girl that walked through the door that um, didn't have much confidence in herself and was in an abusive relationship with her employer to the multi-six-figure, on-the-way-to-seven-figure, multi-business owner that she is in less than a decade is a testament to the power of uh, having women in your corner, having women that will tell you when you're wrong, um, having women to say, you know what, I know it's a stretch for you, but I believe in you, go do it. And then having the confidence to do it. That's a huge, powerful story. And tell me if I'm wrong, but because I'm a guy, I don't believe anyone can empower a woman like another woman. I think that's true. Is that true? I know that, like in my marriage, Mm -hmm. I give my wife certain key things. You know, I I give her confidence. I give her security. I give her love. I give her grace. I give her grief. I give her all the things. Yes. But when she needs that special thing, she calls Heather. Yeah. And it's not something that I'm qualified or equipped to deliver. Yeah. And I guess here's what I wanted to say in response to your story about Kim, is that's a story that's available to every woman. It is. You have to be courageous enough to grab it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's available to every woman. That's available to every man, too. Mm -hmm. Every person has that, that success story capability. Um, I, I, I know Kim. Yeah. And Kim took the, I don't know how she made me look like she. Made She's me an look, artist. But she, she, she did the best headshot I've ever had in my life. I had a lot of headshots, and she sat me down. She told me what to do. I smiled, and she clicked, and it was one shot. Yeah. And she's like, "We're done." I'm like, you're not going to take like 80 and hope for the best? She's like, no, I got it. Yeah. She's and a, she knew. And, she, it's, and to this day, I wish I wouldn't age because that picture is three years old and I'm going to have to stop using it because I'm not going to look like that pretty soon. Well, unless your hair changes and yours isn't going to, <laughs> you may be okay. I may be okay for a while. You may be okay. Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. No, the the pleasure was all mine. Well, thanks. Truly. And um, housekeeping stuff. Uh, Listen to the podcast. Share it. Um, Thank you guys for listening. And uh, I'd love to know some more people who you'd love to hear. So thank you guys for listening to the the, uh, People Who Influence People podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bowie. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you liked the show. And if you did, please hit the like button and share it with your friends. 